This episode is brought to you by Milne Feeds. Milne Feeds have been the leading provider of livestock feed in WA for over 100 years and is now proudly servicing the NT2. Their early weaner product is a nutritionally balanced pellet for feeding to pastoral calves and young weaners and has been developed with their high fibre technology to reduce the risk of acidosis. Milne Feeds also have a range of products available for beef and dairy cattle, sheep and horses. Find out more at milne.com.au. Listening to the Central Station Podcast, where we bring you stories of what life in the outback is really like and why many wouldn't live anywhere else. So pull up a stump, pop the billy on, or crack a cold one as we talk to the men and women who call some of the most remote parts of Australia home. When faced with the choice of pursuing a career in professional women's cricket or teaching, Kylie Jones's passion for education won. Not one to do things in the traditional order, Kylie waited until after university and the start of her teaching career to take a gap year, taking on the role of a governess on Helen Springs Station in the Northern Territory. Little did she know that as it does for so many others, that choice would change the trajectory of her life. In this episode, Kylie shares the story of how after her time as a governess, she came to realise that the structure of mainstream schooling wasn't the right fit for her and found herself back in the outback, launching a not-for-profit organisation from scratch. Kylie, welcome to the Central Station podcast studio. (laughs) Thanks for having me, Steph. And by studio, I mean we're in the office of Murrindjai Water Drilling, and by office I mean we're in a sea container in the middle of nowhere in the Northern Territory right now at a camp draft. Yeah, the aircon in here is pretty lovely <laughs> yeah, at the moment. We, we found a good spot to be, but I suppose that's just uh, setting the scene, which I think will tie in quite nicely later with you and your story and what you do um, and what your clients are like. So so we are here. Um, we are going to be talking today a bit about your time as a teacher and a govy and a pretty cool project that you've got up and running at the moment, but while a lot of this, a lot of your work is about you working with children, I want to start off by asking what you were like as a child. I guess I was always, uh, I loved school so much, didn't want to miss a day ever. Um, I was really big into sport, played a lot of state sport in a few different sports. So I was always just so busy with sports, school. Um, what kind of sports? Um, I played state cricket, soccer and touch footy, um, which was pretty awesome. The cricket gave me some pretty amazing opportunities in the day and got to play on the MCG and the Wacker and um, Bell Reeve Oval and it helped pay for some of my uni. So that was definitely a pretty amazing experience. That's awesome. Did you play throughout uni as well? 
Yeah, so throughout uni and then sort of when it came time, finished uni and I really wanted to to start a career and sort of had to make the choice there that at that stage, women's cricket wasn't earning a, a salary at all. But um, yeah, made the choice to sort of stop there and pursue teaching. Wow, I had no idea. Everyone, I knew Miss K, we, we call Kylie Miss K, uh, was like athletic because you recently ran a marathon, which is insane. <laughs> um, but wow, you're like, this is like Danielle Hay, whose office we're in. She played state, I think it was basketball and touch footy as well. Wow, there's all these athletes out in the <laughs> middle of nowhere. This is brilliant. And so you made the choice not to pursue professional sports as a career and go into teaching because, as you said, women's sports weren't really wasn't really paying a salary back then. How did you pick teaching? Um, I think I'd always wanted to be a teacher from a young age and um, went through all the, the uni and that and was just really eager to, to get into a full-time job and not just be doing um, bits and pieces as a relief teacher. And, and through cricket, you just couldn't um, commit to a full-time job because we're away quite often traveling around Australia playing so yeah chose to sort of I'd had my time doing that and and wanted to try something different. So how did you come to pick teaching when you were selecting your your studies for university? Um, I think as I said it's just always been something I want to do I wanted to do and um, yeah it wasn't very hard because once I set a goal that's what (laughs) what I'm going (laughs) to do I'm very much sort of driven once I have a plan in mind. Again, coming back to the marathon, yes, I've seen this firsthand. It's funny, uh, every now and then when I was growing up, I thought I wanted to be a teacher, but that was just because I like putting like stamps and stickers on my own. I just wanted to like do the ticks on the work and do all the fun. That was pretty much it. Well, like- to be honest, I um, I very much like school, but I always wanted to know what happened in a staff room and <laughs> that oh, really? was kind of a really big part of it. And then I sort of became a teacher and realised the staff room really isn't. That's an exciting, exciting place to be. So <laughs> not unless you're watching. Is it Summer Heights High? Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, always not most quite exciting. Like that. Yeah. Oh wow! And how do you go from being a teacher? Like, I guess well, what kind of teacher were you? Because I've come to learn that you can. I don't. You don't just do a teaching degree, but I think is it often you kind of specialise whether it's like primary school, high school, whether you want to be like a maths teacher, a science teacher, or this or that. Like, there's different types of teachers, I suppose. What did yes. you end up? So I actually um, trained as a physical education teacher and um, was a PE teacher for a couple of years. And that makes sense. Yeah, did that and really enjoyed that, but wanted to sort of pursue something a bit more than just the PE teaching and and, and sort of moved into the classroom after yeah two years. Wow. And how did you come to be in middle of nowhere, Australia, where we are right now? Yeah, well, at the time in um, Tasmania, it was really hard to pick up a full-time position. And I wanted to, as I said, get into teaching and really have a go. So sort of looked around Australia and, and ended up bringing up principals across the NT because I'd heard that there were there were places going and um, jumped on the plane. A principal had said that they possibly had a job but couldn't guarantee it and I thought oh, I'd never been up to Alice Springs before so if it didn't turn out I'd just go for a little holiday and yeah got off the plane and she picked me up and said it was all confirmed so started my career in Alice which was yeah pretty amazing. Oh wow so you've kind of come full circle now which we'll get to in a little bit, I suppose. So what, what were you in, like a school in town or out in a community? Yeah, I was in a school in um, Alice Springs, a little school called Lara Pinter Primary. It had just over 200 kids there. So it was just a really nice way to start without having a huge school, but still big enough to, to really get in there and um, sort of learn how it all works. How do you go adjusting from Tasmania to Alice Springs, although I suppose I'm just thinking you said you travelled the country a fair bit with your sports, but I've, Tassie's the only place I haven't been in this country, but I 
can imagine it's fairly different to Alice Springs. Yeah, definitely. The first year, I don't think I put a jumper on and just absolutely loved life and um, had the biggest sock tan ever. Um, yeah, because I was out PE teaching all the time and I tan up pretty well. So yeah, I was um, pretty brown and yeah, loved it. They loved the weather and just the heat and yeah. And so what made you want to take the step from being a teacher to, I know you ended up being a govy for quite a few years or a governess. Now, often people may do this the other way around, come up out of school, do a year as a govy, get some experience and go back to uni, become a teacher. Uh, we did have another woman on this podcast, Jill, who was or who is the current president of the South Australian Isolated Children's Parents Association. And she, I think she might be episode 79, Jill Greenfield. And she actually was a teacher first and then came up to be a govy. So you're the second one I found now, but it may feel a bit strange. Yeah. Cause you're kind of going from it, it, to be a teacher, you have to have a degree and to be a govy, you don't like you can pretty much anyone can rock up and be a governess or a home tutor or anything. So how, what made you want to, I guess in a way, what I'm kind of getting at is it's almost like a step backwards, but I'm not trying to be like snobby and say that, but it, te- um, technically on paper it would be. Yeah, I guess for me, I'd been so set on being a teacher. So I'd gone from school to uni to a job and hadn't had, I guess, where people have gap years and that and had spent four years teaching and just wanted to do something before I became too old and go and see see some different things. And my best friend had been on Brunette Downs for a number of years and as a govy and had told me how amazing it was and I'd gone to a number of camp drafts and met some people um, around the place through her and just loved it. So, um, yeah, wanted to have a go and, and found a really great station. So, Tell us about the family you're with who haven't been on the podcast yet but their time is coming. <laughs> their time is coming. Yeah, so I was with the town family at Helen Springs and then I moved to Go-Go Station with um, the towns and just they, they were wonderful. They had four kids there and I, I taught um, all four of them in the first year and then the twins went off to boarding school and I just had the, the two youngest ones there and just loved my time working with them. Now I want to Say teaching four kids at once must must be pretty hectic, even though you come from classroom scenarios where you probably had between 20 and 30 kids, but they're all on the same program in the same class doing the same things. When you've got four kids in a classroom, the eldest ones are twins, so at least they're on the same age, but you've got four kids doing four different, well, three different things. Um, yeah, I, I didn't find it too difficult. To be honest, all of our um, learning materials are given there so you're not sitting there and planning um, every lesson. It was just such a nice chance to be able to really focus on what each kid needed and sometimes when you're in the classroom, you know what it is that they need but you don't always have the time to do it. So I really enjoyed that aspect of it. And these kids, do they do distance education or do they go through School of the Air? Yeah, they were through School of the Air, Mount Isa School of the Air, which was um, really interesting because we were a fair way from – um, Mount Isa with um, being at Helen Springs and then when we moved to Go-Go Station over in the Kimberleys we were days away from Mount Isa so yeah it was it was great that we sort of kept that continuity and the kids were able to stay connected with all their friends they'd grown up with. Can you explain to me how it worked being a teacher but going through school of the air? Or being a governess like what well, I mean you were a teacher but often I guess that's the difference 90 probably percent of governesses or home tutors aren't actually teachers. So what is the role of a governess and a home tutor and how does that work in with School of the Air? Yeah, so School of the Air send out 
their program um, generally every sort of half term you get a, a new program and, and you have that work there that you work with the students in class with and they also do on-air lessons most days. So you're there to just support them with what's being sent out and you might be photocopying their work and sending it back to the teachers. Um, so that's your main role and then I would add some extra reading programs, writing programs, but um, overall it, it's quite um, – yeah, quite routine in, in what you're doing um, each day. It's fairly similar in some regards, but living station life, nothing's ever routine, I guess. So you've got to be prepared for travelling around to different camp drafts or, or things just coming up where you have to um, work around it and you might catch up school on a weekend, which was definitely a sort of new aspect coming from teaching to just be prepared to, to change your program and work on the weekends or make up days here and there. So that was an interesting aspect. The point of govies or home tutors, I mean, the, the language kind of differs from state to state or territory, region to region. And I think this came up in episode, it's either 50 or 51 with Sarah Cook, is that, yeah, you don't have to be, this is what I find amazing. And this is no, I'm not having a go at any govies or home tutors, but you, you don't have to have any qualifications to do it. Although, well, you'd hope most employers would require like a working with children's check card and a, first aid certificate or whatnot, but because you're being guided by teachers. But really, there is, I suppose, I, I did a term as a govy um, many moons ago and <laughs> not wasn't traumatic. Like, not that that sounds dramatic, but, man, I had to relearn long division. My child was in year five and that was traumatic for me. I was like, how do you do this? But even though you've got your teachers there, I think it is, it's a really interesting scenario that, yeah, if you want to send your, if you send your kid into school in town, that teacher's gone to uni for four years, five years, however long, and they're there with your children all day, every day, whereas kids that go to school of the air or distance education, uh, any sort of remote learning in Australia, they are, do have access to a fully qualified teacher, but it is limited. And in the past 12 months, I've been travelling between the Kimberley or the Territory. I went through SA in Queensland and I've been staying with a lot of station families and always take the opportunity to jump in the schoolroom. And it is very differing, I guess, the relationships kids have with their teachers. But I do, I do wonder, like, I had no idea how to teach this poor child long division when I was doing it. Um, and I just – I don't know where the um, – how you kind of get around that with obviously like, the yeah, the teacher's there to teach, but really so much. And in, and technically the governess or the home tutor is there just to supervise. But you do – you end up teaching. You can't not teach. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's what's so admirable about um, parents, home tutors, scubbies that are um, – in this role because it is a demanding role even though you're sent out all the materials and that as you said um so much of it comes back to you then have to implement that and and it's not easy at times and it can seem quite overwhelming I guess I was lucky in that I'd been doing this as a teacher so it was all fresh in my head so in that regard it wasn't necessarily challenging for me but that was definitely where I felt there was a need for some support there for families because it really can be be hard at times and um, just trying to get that help when you're not sure what to do. And, and a lot of the time it's just that reassurance you're on the right track as well. Yeah, I always wonder, I mean, if you're, if you're starting off with an older child and you need to teach them certain things, I think that perhaps, I think the older they get, maybe it's not as bad, but I'm like, how do you teach someone like what a letter is or how, oh my God, how to teach someone, you know, well, even me learning other languages and then trying to teach other people like 
English, you're like, oh my God, this none of this makes sense. Like, how are you supposed to teach that? What was your biggest learning curve when you came out to be a home tutor or governess? Um, I think a lot of it was just um, that flexibility of and working around what was happening each day and, and being able to sort of change up things was, um, yeah, just interesting to, to go from a regular everyday five days a week school environment to just being prepared to, to have anything change um, on, on a daily basis. And what was the biggest challenge for you? I guess sometimes it was hard as a govy. You don't always have that place in the station as in you've got your stock camp, you've got your different sections of the station and um, just finding where you fit within that sometimes was hard because I'm probably not a, a super outgoing social person. So um, for me, that was daunting. It takes me a little bit of time to sort of warm up and to, to um, feel confident in a place. So I guess when you're not the stock camp comes in at the end of the day and they're all up and about and having a chat about the day and you haven't been part of that, sometimes it's hard to relate to, to others. So I think that was hard in the first couple of months until I sort of felt more comfortable. I can't remember if I've had this uh, conversation on air or off air, but it was with someone recently and we're kind of talking about how govies aren't, how sometimes there can be a bit of a stigma and they're not that, like people are like, oh, you're just playing with the kids all day inside or you're just doing this. Like you're in, you're in the schoolroom all day having fun painting. Like you've got the easy job. And I'm like, oh, buddy, no, like I don't think, no. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I think that you, you sort of have those sort of views, people thinking that, and then they never see what you're doing on a day-to-day basis and they might see the fun things where we, we might go do a presentation for for the staff or do something like that. So they don't see those challenging times when you have kids that don't don't want to be doing what, they, they, what they're meant to be doing or, um, you know, things just aren't going quite right. So in, in a lot of respects, I think that's the hard thing that you don't necessarily have that connection or that common ground with the rest of staff to, to chat about your day-to-day operations because nobody's coming in and wants to hear about, you know, a story that the kids wrote or, you know, you can only chat about those things so much. So that was probably the, the biggest challenge going into station life was finding those connections when you're not part of the general day-to-day operations of most station life. So after you taught the town kids and they were all ready to go off to boarding school, which again must have been like, you know, I guess sometimes gubbies are like a second mum as well. Like those are your kids going off to boarding school. Uh, what what was the next step for you? Um, so I, once I left them, I went to Victoria, went teaching there for a couple of years. I was so eager after having that time as a governess um, to get back in the classroom as I felt I'd really, you know, found some new skills having that time with only four kids to build more knowledge and understanding. So I was eager to get back in the classroom. And you've ended up coming full circle, as I kind of hinted at before. Now you're based on a station just out of Alice Springs again. So you've gone kind of town, station, town, back to a station, but you're not a governess this time. What's what's the job you've got at the moment? I've just started a new not-for-profit organisation called Remote and Isolated Support and Education, or RAISE Education for short. So 
I was super passionate about, I've always been really passionate about education and helping students. And I think my time governessing, I remember traveling with the girls to another family station and spent the week with them. Um, and we did school in their classroom and their govy was only just out of school and was really enthusiastic and, and great. But you could see she just didn't have that school experience and was trying to do the best she could, but wasn't sure what to do necessarily. And I felt back then that there was possibly something there I could be helping to do. And after going back to, to the school environment and working there for a while, and I guess getting frustrated sometimes by, um, I guess some of the box ticking you have to do within the system. And I felt I really could make a, a difference and help families that don't always have access to as much support as when you're in town. So our organisation essentially supports families that might need a little bit of extra help with reading, writing, maths, whatever it is. Um, and we work with, we really focus on helping the home tutor or the parent um, with that teaching because I think they're just so valuable in the whole operation of it and that by helping them to then work with their student is so much more valuable than me trying to just do a session over um, a Zoom link and that. So that's what we really focus on. So you're not only helping the kids, you're sort of upskilling and building confidence within the people delivering the learning material or assisting with the delivering of the learning materials. Yeah, so we do um, some initial assessment with the kids and then from there each week we send out a new program and work closely with the govy or the, the parent to help them implement that program on a weekly basis and they give feedback how everything's going and I try to check in with the kid every um, one to two weeks and, and have a little session with them and just work really closely, yeah, with families. Okay, and so this isn't instead of their distance education or their school of the year, this is in addition to it? Yeah, so this is um, runs alongside what they're already doing with schools. So we work, we individualise our programs, so depending on what time families have available and what needs they have, so we don't have a, a set program that every person has to fit into. We make sure that it, it, it fits into your daily routine and that we can help you get whatever support it is that you think is going to best um, help your child achieve their full potential. I think this has come at a, well, I don't, I don't suppose there's any such thing as the right time or a good time. I'm thinking of one family I visited at one point in the last 12 months and that oh, the one child I was um, kind of stepped in for a couple of days as Govy and found out that that class, it kind of, they ended up splitting the class into two because, I mean, there was only about eight kids in class, but there were about three or four of them that were, they called like, you know, slightly behind and the other ones were slightly advanced and they were struggling to have them all in the same class because kids just kept getting left behind. Um, or, or you either, are you either leaving someone behind or are you trying to slow down the ones that are, are ahead? And again, like, what do you do in that situation? So, so really what you're, what from my understanding is that, it's not, yeah, you're not sending out like brand, you're not trying to teach them brand new things like you learn at school. You're helping them do their schoolwork better, I guess, like giving them sort of the foundational skills of reading, writing. Yeah, definitely. I'm a um, big believer in making sure kids have those key skills and that foundational knowledge to, to help them sort of grow and, and build on from there. So all of our work is kind of about going back to basics and that can be the challenging thing as a teacher when you have a curriculum to teach to and you can't always go back to where there's gaps or you don't always have the time to extend up enough. So what we're trying to do is really support when there are, if kids are 
got those gaps to be able to go back and help fill those or if, if families feel like their, their child needs a bit more extension, being able to provide some stuff so that um, I, I really think it's important that kids are engaged in learning and, and want to learn. So we're, we're trying to make it that um, our programs are, are there for those kids to enjoy their time in school. So if I had a child that was going to school in town and they had similar problems, what would the equivalent be of getting that same help in town? Do you go through, is it available in schools or is it like hiring a tutor or how does it? Yeah, so I think um, when you're in town, there's a lot more options as in having going to tutoring, which, you know, they're able to do that face-to-face, which, as I said, is so much easier and I think more valuable than trying to do it online. And that's where I've targeted um, our teaching to the home tutor so that they can deliver these um, lessons in person with the child. And then I guess also things like speech therapy, um, all of those extra support things that are so much easier to access when you live in town. We're working really hard and hope in the future to be able to make some connections with um, speech pathologists to, to help us be able to, to give more services to people living remotely. Now, now the first, well, one of the first questions that pops into my mind is, so I kind of understand how it works, but I think probably what anyone that would be considering utilising a service like this would be wondering is what does it cost? We're trying so hard to not charge families for this service. I really believe every child should have the opportunity to achieve their full potential regardless of their financial situation. So um, at Raise Education, we work hard to to make this service available so families aren't having to pay more when they already fork out so much from, you know, paying for govies or giving up their wage to teach their children and just the travel cost to attend in-school events. So we really believe they shouldn't have to pay any more to, to get the help they need. So you're based on a cattle station just outside of Alice Springs. What regions are you able to service? Is this just an, a territory thing or where do you go? No, so we're able to, we're actually registered across Australia and able to help any family that's undertaking distance education Australia-wide um, because we really believe that, you know, anyone needing help, we want to be able to help out. And I guess our focus at the moment has been more NT-based just for the fact that um, that's where I'm based and for funding funding wise we don't have a, a great deal of money at this stage to be able to travel around but yeah we've been contacted by some families around the country which has been really exciting and so even though ideally some face-to-face time like in person is ideal I think COVID shown us you can do so much you know a lot of the delivery is online so if someone is listening right now and they're in Queensland or South Australia there's nothing really stopping them from contacting no. you and getting something going. Yeah, yeah, which is so exciting. That online, you know, it, it's so great for, for what it can do and, you know, moving into the future, we would love to be able to to visit families where we can and we try to get to different events so that we can meet people face-to-face because I think you build such a strong connection that way. But in saying that as well, I think what we're doing with our online stuff um, works well at, um, at this stage anyway. Now, I'm sure a lot of people will relate to this. There's nothing – well, one of the things I super dislike is when you see like a car advertised or a horse advertised or something on TV and they don't tell you the price and you're like, oh, just tell me. So, I've got to ask you for anyone listening that's like, oh, I'm, this is interesting. Like the ears are perked up and they might want to give you a call or an email and, and see what, what 
can be arranged. Um, let's just get it all out in the open. What's it going to cost them? Um, so we try super hard to provide this service free of charge to families. I really believe um, education isn't something that we should profit from and that every child should be able to achieve their full potential regardless of their financial situation. So, um, yeah, we don't charge families for, for what we're delivering. And obviously you're not like Mother Teresa living in a tent just doing this out of the goodness of your heart though. So obviously there are there must be some great organisations that have gotten behind and supported you so um, far. Yeah, so at the moment uh, we've been so lucky. Decodable Readers Australia have been really supportive. They've given us um, a copy of all their, their reading books for our reading program and they've also just sponsored us $5,000, which has been just amazing. Um, and along with that, given us access to their online library so that families don't have to pay for, for any of the books, which has been great. Um, and then I've also been lucky enough, um, ALNF, the Australian Literacy and Numeracy Foundation, have been really supportive and are helping me with some training so that hopefully in the future we'll be able to deliver some preschool early literacy programs and readiness for that. Um, I guess... The rest of our funding at this stage has been out of my pocket making this happen, um, which is hard at times, but I'm so thankful that I've always been quite stingy with my money and have been a good saver. Um, that's allowed me to have a little bit of money behind me to be able to make, make this happen because it's just been um, so rewarding and probably the happiest I've been for, for a very long time, being able to, to feel like I'm really making a difference um, to kids' lives. Oh my gosh, when I just said, oh, and of course you're not Mother Teresa just living out of a tent, you know, um, doing this for nothing. I was kidding. I didn't realize that you're actually covering a lot of your own time. Yeah, I, um, it's, it's, yeah, I was just kidding when I said that, but yeah, I guess you are kind of Mother Teresa. You're just not living out of a tent. Uh, uh I, I don't know about that. I, I really don't think, um, <laughs> <Ms>. Gay, but, <laughs> sh- stop it. for me, I just, you know, it's just, you can't explain when you're working with a child and you see them move from, you know, struggling and, and hating school to all of a sudden it, it makes sense and how happy they are. And, um, yeah, it, it's just a pretty special feeling to be able to be part of that and feel that you've, you've helped someone along their journey, um, in life, really. I I do get that on some level because for the eight or nine years that Central Station's been going, you know, a fair chunk of this is just a love job. Like it's not a full-time wage. It's not a part-time wage. It, and people are like, oh, you must, you know, no, this has always been my second or third job. Um, I've always had another job to support myself and sometimes I wonder, but really at the end of the day, like it's different. I'm not teaching children to read or write or, you know, changing their lives that way, but I'd like to hope I'm making some kind of a positive contribution somewhere. So, no, I do get the idea about sometimes you've just – and sometimes things, you know, any business takes time. You know, whether you've got a not-for-profit or a for-profit business, it can take time to get up and going and kind of look after itself and yours just happens to be a not-for-profit. And I know um, hopefully at some stage if anyone's listening and you're feeling feeling philanthropic and want to help the next generation of bush kids, definitely get in touch. But ideally, I suppose one day you get you guys will – I mean, you're, you've um, – from my understanding, you meet the criteria for uh, getting charitable status, which means uh, donations will be tax deductible. Uh, but that's just a bit, of, a fair bit of paperwork in getting that going. Yeah, we're working hard at the moment. We just need to finish off some of our child safe policies, so then we can hopefully apply and get that deductible gift recipient status. Um, but 
yeah, as I said, we've had some great support from a couple of businesses and, and I guess um, Steve and Beck Cadso at Mount Riddick Station have just been um, incredible. They've, they've given me a house and they've given me, they feed me there and, and I help out whenever needed. But uh, I guess I just can't say how thankful I am for the support they've given me to be able to be up here and be able to, um, yeah, make this a reality. I'm pretty sure between the two of us, we could just do a whole episode fangirling over those people. Yeah, yeah people, definitely. People will probably get sick of me saying that. <laughs> All right, so we've heard your perspective of what it's like. I'm just going to pop out of this sea container and grab a real-life governess live, coming to you live from Pussycat Ball Camp Draft and Rodeo, uh, to come and tell us about what it's like being on the other end of your tutorage. All right, so here we've got Miss Laura. So we've got Miss Kay, Kylie Jones, teacher, and now we've got Miss Laura, governess too. Heath Hay of Marantai Water Drilling. <laughs> Laura looks real excited to be on the podcast. But, Laura, you uh, tell us about your time with Heath. This is your second year as his governess? Yeah, yeah, second year. So I finished high school and then took a gap year and then took a second gap year. And, yeah, so I've just been teaching Heath for the last two years. So both you straight out of high school, though, this was your first job? Yeah, so straight out of high school. Okay. And when did Heath start in the RAISE program? Um, Heath started in the RAISE program about nearly a year ago. Yeah, about a year ago. So we're about mid-year now. So you would have had six months of teaching Heath before he started the program, probably? Yeah, about six months, maybe a little bit more. Yeah, and so what was those first six months like? I guess it would be a big learning curve for you. Not, I don't say this in like a condescending way, but it's like a child teaching a child in a way. Yeah, but no, you just come straight out of school. Yeah. Like. <laughs> no, it was very. It was actually very daunting. Like you come out of school and you know you, t- you have a responsibility of teaching a kid and make sure they're getting good grades and doing this and doing that and. and like I had no support really. I had I, did, I had no idea like how to even do it when I first rocked up. So yeah, it was very daunting. And then we came across Ray's and Kylie, and yeah, it just changed both Heath and I. So what's actually involved from your end in the Ray's program? Like how much extra time does it add to your day or to your week? What do you actually have to do with Heath? So. Kylie will send to a program and that program goes for at least 30 minutes and I just add that into wherever I think we can do it during the day. Um, we're pretty flexible how, how we do it due to traveling and, you know, events and we don't like, it's just different. But, um, yeah, so Kylie sends a program and then I work through that program with Heath and then if I have any concerns or issues or, you know, don't know how to do something, then I'll contact Kylie and she'll explain it or send a video or something. Um, and then, yeah, so it's like I work with Kylie and I then work with Heath too. So, Kylie, can you tell us, so we've got permission from Heath's mum, Danielle, what was when you did your assessment on Heath, what were the areas that you guys decided that you needed to focus on? Um, so Heath was having quite a lot of trouble with literacy in general and specifically in reading. Um, he, some of the strategies that he had been taught, um, prior to working with us, um, sort of relied on a lot of guessing and looking at pictures. Um, and he just wasn't picking up that alphabetic code. So what we've really been focusing on is going back to those basics, looking at how letters connect with sounds, um, and, and teaching him the only thing we need to do as a good reader is look at the words and sound them out. 
So you, I'm guessing you don't just go to Laura and say, here's this worksheet, just do it with him. Like you've got to teach Laura how to teach him on the worksheet in a way, I guess. Like Laura's got to be able to – so you're spending more time with Laura in a way than you are with Heath? Yeah, definitely. And we've tried. I think um, Laura's just been amazing because she's been – they've been our first family and she's just been so open with how it's going and letting me know what things work and what things don't so that we can um, really – fine-tune the program and I think the the path we've gone down is using a lot of video and instructional videos with demonstrations how it works to keep it simple and also I know myself how easy it is if you can actually see an activity running rather than just trying to read it and understand what's happening. It's kind of like getting a, a set of board game instructions and you're just like, oh, everyone jumps on YouTube like, how does this actually work? <laughs> so, Laura, tell me a little bit about what, so what the troubles where you're having with Heath beforehand and then what you've noticed over the past year? So the troubles we're having with Heath were he hated writing. I couldn't get him to write at all. He And I think that came with him not being able to sound out or blend sounds or like he didn't know diagraphs or trigraphs and he had he had no idea. Like, oh, my God, I don't know what a diagraph or a trigraph is. <laughs> Can we have a lesson live on air? Like what is a diagraph? <laughs> So essentially with your diagraphs, um, so graphs are one letter that represents one sound. A diagraph is two letters that represents one sound. So, for example, SH making that sh oh, sound. Okay. And then your trigraphs um, like IGH making that long I sound. So oh. it's about using that terminology to explain what we're looking at so that you can you have those words to, to talk about what we're actually looking at when we're learning sound patterns. Oh, okay. Well, I've just learned something on the yeah. podcast, everyone. I hope everyone else listening has too. I mean, I don't know how I've never heard anyone say that before, unless my year one teacher is listening to me right now being like, what? I told you this. But anyway, um, okay. Yeah. So sorry. Keep going. <laughs> um, another thing he had trouble with was reading. He couldn't read at all. Like no matter how hard I tried, how many times, I change something cause different strategies like go sit with the horses and read or let's try and read this book or that book. Yeah, nothing worked really at all. Um, yeah, so since Ray's, we have come a long way. Um, Heath can read. Now he's jumped levels upon levels, which makes him happy as well as Kylie and I. <laughs> um, and his writing has excelled as well. He can write independently. Um, he won't cry for hours on end now. Like he actually gets in, has a go. He knows it's okay to get it wrong. Like if he, if he's wrong, you know, I can help him or like, yeah, he's just excelled in so many different ways. What about you? How do you feel having come into this as pretty much every other Govy does, like blind, like no experience? Yeah. And now, I mean, you know, certainly, you know, you've got experience. You're somewhere between being like the fresh Govy and, obviously not a school teacher because that takes years of university, but you've got these kind of cool skills that you might not have learned otherwise. Yeah, so it's definitely I mean, you know what confidence. the word diagraph is. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely built my confidence, that's for sure. Um, I just, yeah, I was, I was like kind of thought it was my fault. Like I tried my hardest. I went to Danielle and, you know, I was like, what else can I try? Like we worked together to try and benefit him. And like I thought it was my fault and then, just having Kylie and like it made me realize no it's not like it's a bit of everything joined and it's just built my confidence and like it, it's makes you happier like you're 
I enjoy being with Heath. Like we love being in the school and we have a good time. Like he loves school. I love teaching now. Yeah, it's definitely changed a lot. I really wish I'd had this when I was a govy because uh, – so you, you weren't here for this part of the conversation earlier. I only did a term as a govy and I had to relearn how to do long division for a child in grade five and that was <laughs> – a lot of Googling, mm. a lot of Googling. All right. So, if you could say one thing to any other govy or parent out there listening at the moment, Miss Laura, about Rays and how it's helped you, what would you what would you say? It's definitely something to look into. Like, it's just like an extra tutoring program that I had when I was at a normal school. Like, um, it benefits the govy or the parent. It benefits the child. It, it makes a difference and I don't see why people – I'm not willing to try it. And what about you, Miss Kay, to finish us off? Yeah, I guess just um, feel free to sort of get in contact and, and have a chat. There's no pressure to to sign up or anything like that. And, and as I said before, it's very much um, catered to your needs and we make sure it works in with what you want and can, can fit your regular schedule. And the best part is right now it's free. So it's not like you're going to be given a hard sales pitch or anything because you've got nothing to sell. Like you're not selling <laughs> yeah, anything. Yeah, very much so, yeah. Thank you so much for your time, ladies. Thanks, Steph. Thank you. Ag Workforce specialises in recruiting for agricultural jobs, including farm work, station work and agribusiness across Australia. View current jobs, advertise a position or register as a job seeker at Ag Workforce. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or leave us a review. It really helps other people find our podcast. You can find our website at centralstation.net.au where we have over 1,200 stories published from across Northern Australia. All of our podcast episodes, a tourism directory for visiting an outback cattle station, and training and employment resources. We're on Facebook at Central Station, True Stories from Outback Australian Cattle Stations. And we're on Instagram at centralstation.net.au. And we're also on Twitter at Central Station 6. To discuss this episode with other listeners, head on over to our Facebook group, Central Station Podcast.